Welcome to the Sing When You're Losing podcast. After a not-so-short hiatus, we're back to help you learn to make the most of every situation. Setbacks and struggles aren't meant to stop us, they're meant to teach us. Whatever you're going through, it's only temporary, but you still have to endure it. So if you're going to live it, you may as well learn to sing when you're losing. In the upcoming weeks, we will be talking to various guests about ways to make the most of the current crisis we're in. None of us would choose this, but I believe it's possible to come out of it stronger than when you went in. Obviously, all of the current episodes will be recorded online, so please be patient with the occasional lack of sound quality. If you can persevere, I have no doubt you will enjoy it and grow from it. Now, join your host, Buddy Owen, as you learn to sing when you're losing. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sing When You're Losing, a podcast that's all about making the most of life, uh, even in the bad situations, uh, learning uh, how to live, not just exist, learning how to uh, thrive and not just survive. And even when things go wrong, and especially when things go wrong, uh, we can find opportunities for growth. Uh, Today, I am joined by one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. He'll tell you his story, so I won't go into it much, uh, but trust me, uh, this is a story that you'll want to hear uh, and that I hope all of us will be able to learn from. So my guest today is Dave Bolton, uh, and Dave, uh, among other things, uh, does so a bit of acting, which he uh, may tell you a little bit about as well. Uh, but he's uh, <laughs> he's also um, uh, a Taekwondo champion uh, and uh, also a cancer survivor. And we're going to touch on a little bit of all that today uh, in the podcast. But I hope that you find this uh, entertaining, but also encouraging. So, Dave. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thanks for agreeing to do it. Uh, let's just start really quickly on where are you from? Where, where did you grow up? Uh, well, originally I, I was born in uh, West Germany in RAF Wegberg. Uh, so my mum and dad uh, were in the forces. So I grew up between the ages of naught and nine in Germany uh, in a place called RAF Larbrook. But we stayed off base in a, a little family quarter area called in Vitsa, a town called Vitsa. Yeah, so uh, and then um, I came back. Obviously, my dad uh, was from the Wirral. Uh, my mum was from uh, Manchester. Uh, and we came back and we settled in on the Wirral, uh, so in Bevington. Uh, and that's where I kind of grew up, uh, in Bevington. Uh, after high school, um, I joined, well, I was doing A-levels. Got really good, decent GCSEs. Um, was doing my A-levels, but after six months of just spending six months in the common... Uh, common room with the, with the girls I was brought in and I was joining the RAF at the age of 18 and I couldn't go in before then so I thought I'd get my A-levels but I was just wasting my time um, I had a meeting with uh, head, head of sixth form it was lovely he said what do you want to do and I said oh, I don't even want to be here I don't know why I'm here so I got a job at All Sports a lot of people won't remember that but the sh- yeah. shopping store so I got a uh, job in All Sports uh, until I joined the forces okay at the and age of 18 at 18 you joined the forces how long were you uh, in the RAF then? I was in for three years. What was good is uh, if you play sport in the uh, military, you don't really work. So I played rugby. So I played rugby for the station and also for the RAF. So uh, I got I got a lot of trips away. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, and then so you left the RAF at yeah, 21? 21, yeah. I had my 21st birth. I had my 19th birthday out in, in the desert. <laughs> wow. And I had my 21st birthday in police training. So I came out of uh, the RAF and went straight into uh, Merseyside Police. Okay, and in the police for how long? I was in the police for 14 and a half years. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And what took you out of the police? Um, I was uh, diagnosed with um, terminal cancer. Wow. With a brain tumor. Uh, glioblastoma, multiformer, uh, grade four, most aggressive kind, biggest killer of the under 40s, known in the medical world as the Terminator. I was given three months to live in July 2015. Incredible. Uh, and uh, obviously, you're still here. I'm still here. Yeah. What happened was when I obviously I chose to take the time, and the police were really good. Can't can't fault them at all. And um, 
they gave me eight years on top of me pension as a medical pension so it took me over 20 years which is the kind of magic number to get an okay pension should we say um but i always laugh because i'm sure they thought i'll just give him give him eight years he's not going to be here that long five years later i'm still here <laughs> incredible uh and we'll come back to that uh yeah. in just a minute we'll, we'll come back to that uh so you left the police you yeah. went through this battle with cancer yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh and then after you uh, survive that realized you were going to survive that but you were out of the police what next yeah yeah I was, I was out the police anyway and I'd, I'd had my strength and qualifications anyway which I got from Leeds back at university because sports been my whole life uh, from the ages of seven to nine I was picked up as uh, having high potential uh, in athletics so I was a sprinter did the 100 meter 200 and I was the third leg of a four by one 100 metres, um, never lost a race between seven and nine and was the captain of the British schools, uh, forces schools. So we'd go and race against all the other schools across um, Germany and against the German schools. Uh, when I came back here, I joined World Athletics. From the ages of nine to 14, I never lost a race in the 100, 200. And um, I was training though Mondays, what was it, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursday, Friday and Sunday as a 15-year-old. And then you kind of think, girls come on the scene, you mates there, and I just thought, no, I'm missing out, and chose chose to leave, chose, chose to leave it. But I, I still play county rugby, county football, uh, county volleyball uh, for the school. I played sorry, county hockey as well. So sports been my whole life. I love sport, but what I was really good at was combat sport as well. So um, did lots of different ones. It wasn't taekwondo; it was kickboxing. That okay. was really good. At. So I did Muay Thai, K1. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, boxing, uh, but yeah, kickboxing is the one where I really excelled at. Okay, so my sporting background anyway. So yeah, uh, yeah um, I was coaching rugby anyway for for Wirral um, with a, a guy who obviously you know uh, Colin Robinson, Dr. Colin Robinson, um, and I was kind of in a period where I didn't know what to do with myself because uh, it was a year because obviously in 2014 I was diagnosed. And we will go back to it with the astrocytoma, so not the full one. Um, and he came to me and he said, I want you to come work in the gym, uh, the underground training station. And I said to him, I don't, I don't need your pity, Cole. I said, I really don't. I said, um, he goes, I don't. He said, I'm taking advantage of you. I've seen how you coach the kids, the buy-in you get with them. He said, it's unbelievable. And so then I started working at uh, the underground training station. For those of you who may not know, the underground training station is a gym in Hoylake, uh, on the Wirral. So that's where you were drawn into to start doing some coaching there? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, so back then, I was geared up to going into team, coaching teams. So um, I was lined up to, to, to coach rugby teams because that's my passion is rugby and combat sports. Um, but then I then got, uh, I went for a random scan and obviously I then got the glioblastoma. So then I had to go through 18 months of just brutal, brutal um, treatment. And when I came out the, the end of that, I kind of, that wasn't my focus anymore. It's not what I wanted to do. So what did you decide you, decide you wanted to do then? Well, no, what it was is because if I was to go into to rugby coaching, um, yeah, the money's okay, but it would take me away from the family. So I'd be, say, coaching Tuesdays, I'd be in meetings Thursdays, I'd be away all day, Saturdays, Sundays. Um, and I've done that before. Uh, when I was in the police, especially in the latter part of my days, I was, I was a detective sergeant in the covert unit in Liverpool. Uh, it was the um, target and serious organised crime. But that came with quite a lot of responsibility. So I was supposed to be on days, eight till five, because it was the, the, the face of it, Monday to Friday. But for me, if I'm going to do something, I do it to the best of my ability. So I was first in, so I'd be leaving the house at six in the morning. Uh, and then I would be getting in home about seven, eight, nine. And that was constant there. But that's because that's what I thought I had to do. So when I came out of this and, you know, when you are told you only have three months to live, you kind of, I spent two, three weeks reevaluating what life's been about and what's important. And I'd, I'd, I'd been drawn back into to working those 16 hour days. Um, just, just before I got ill, uh, I was in the, in the gym, in the old gym with Chris, Thomas and Stu, and we'd be doing 12 hour days. And I said I'd never work weekends again. I'd be working weekends. So it was kind of a wake up call to really say, listen, you're slipping back into your old ways again. So I kind of just take on the old clients. Uh, I wanted to move in a different direction, uh, which is kind of what I've done. So I started off by doing talks just about my, my, my journey, really. Um, 
of my journey for survival, shall we say, and that's how what I called it. Um, and I did that for two years for free, just going around. Then I was picked up, uh, did a talk at the uh, Institute of Directors uh, in Liverpool at the, um, the iconic Liver building, shall we say. And um, he pulled me one side and said, why are you doing this for free? I said, because I just want to give back. I want to provide, the, show people that there is another way, you know, that to be positive, that if I can do it, anyone else can do it. He said, do you have a mortgage? I said, well, I do now. Right, you need to start getting paid. So he took me under his wing and uh, a lot of it used to be me just talking about my, my journey and what I went through. But now I'm getting in front of businesses. There's got to be a take home from it. So now I talk about my, obviously my journey, but then I go into what mental resilience is, how we can improve it, can we improve it? And then I go on to leadership or teamwork, using my experience through the police, developing teams, you know, teamwork uh, at a level within uh, within the military, but also come at, uh, teamwork and responsibility for when I went on to win world world kickboxing title and the dedication, the sacrifice you have to go through. To so a talk could span in many different areas. Yeah. So uh, have you just dropped that little bulb of uh, kickboxing world champion in there, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which is amazing? Uh, yeah. But again, it wasn't very straightforward. Um, Definitely not. My, my life hasn't been very straightforward. I wish it was. I've, I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, it's September two thousand and four, and things are going really well in the police I'm, I'm, I'm only a young constable there but I'm making a name for myself I just moved into a flat with my girlfriend who's now my wife and one of the reasons why I said it's quite glad I did go to Pensby is I actually met my wife Sam at Pensby so a childhood sweetheart should we say started uh -huh. going out at 16 on and off until about 20 and then yeah it's it been solid since uh, we just found out uh, she was pregnant uh, with our first 21 uh, sorry I was 23 she was 22 um, yeah, life's going great. So September the 6th, I go out for a ride because I was riding motorbikes uh, with my friend into Wales. Came into the Horseshoe Pass uh, and as I've gone round a corner, there's been diesel and gravel all over the road. What you should never do on a, on a corner is brake. But my natural reaction, that autonomous kind of reaction, was uh, the back end kicked out and I jabbed the brake, which set me up on a course to go, as I go around the corner, sat me upright and across onto the side of the road, which usually wouldn't have been a problem, but six feet away was an 18-ton articulated lorry. Yeah. When they say time st stands still, it does, trust me. Yeah. So the ops, uh, I had a conversation with myself that felt like it lasted for an hour, which was milliseconds. The upshot was that I needed to jump from that bike. So I shifted all my weight onto the left-hand side of the bike and jumped. Landed on my back, remember the whole accident. Uh, so I landed on my back. Uh, as I was going back onto the, the left-hand side of the road, which is the right side for me, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, it depends how you look at it, uh, I went under the back wheel of the cab, of the, uh, and then the, the back two wheels of the articulated tr uh, trailer. So, um, and I say fortunately or unfortunately, if I'd have been a split second later jumping off the bike, it would have gone over my stomach and I wouldn't be here today. So I look at the positives, it went over my legs. But I knew it was bad because my leg had snapped up above my head. There was, yeah. You upshot from that because I could go into this for hours, as I've already told you. I had to be yeah. airlifted. I had to be airlifted to Glencluid Hospital. I was likely to prove uh, at the scene. Uh, I'm a massive believer in fate. The person behind me was an off-duty paramedic, and she must have uh, saved my uh, saved my life by stemming my femoral artery because I completely severed it. Uh, I spent two out twelve hours having life saving operation in Glencluid Hospital. I was later told I was thirty seconds away from dying. So if if I hadn't been airlifted and gone in there, I wouldn't have made it. If just again, fate, if air ambulance was on another job or they were that 30 seconds later going off, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, at one point, they were putting blood in and it was just getting sprayed out. I completely degloved my left leg of skin from above my knee to below my shin where my boot was. Um, I lost three quarters of my calf uh, through debridements. That's where they take all bits of mud and dirt and gravel. Um, completely dislocated my knee as I said so I've got I have no ligaments or tendons in there I still don't to this day my right leg completely shattered which included breaking my kneecap or my patella into six places so I had to have in my left leg six external pins coming up and all the way down because my leg was only held on by a few uh, muscle fibers uh, veins the only reason why I was told that I actually survived was because my my blood supply was that good it's because of how fit I was at, at the time. Sure. 
yeah so it was a, it was a yeah a, a lot uh, i came around i was in a coma for a week i was brought round um and then i suffered morphine psychosis for three weeks so i didn't know what was going on for three weeks it took me four months um to get out uh, it took me four months in total uh, to get out of hospital uh, to learn how to walk again um which because i'd been laid flat for 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 three months um, every time I sat up, I passed out. So it took a week to two weeks just to get to the end of the bed to learn how, how to walk again. I'd lost, I'd, my fighting weight was 13 and a half stone, 13 stone. I'd gone down to seven stone in body weight. So wow. while I was, yeah. Um, so then, yeah, uh, I thought I'd go to Arrow Park Hospital, get the pins out, get all my ligaments, the, the tendons reattached, because I'd already had several operations in Whiston Hospital. So I was transferred to Whiston, missed that bit out, for skin grafting which is their specialist. Right. Luckily, all of mine took great. Uh, I won't go into too much. Went to our park hospital, but I had my pins removed at the bedside. But, but because my leg had been fused so long, it, it had um, scar tissue had grown into the joints. In my left leg, I still don't have ligaments or tendons because it's held together with scar tissue. Wow. I was given up on by uh, doctors, physios. I spent like six months in physio, uh, and I could only get 20-degree flexion in my knee, so literally just that paid to go and see a private specialist who said like you've got two options because i was told i'd never walk again at first then it was you'll always walk with a limp and because i had this block there was no way i couldn't limp he said you've got two options you can either amputate your leg below your knee to give you the best chance of prosthetic or and i don't understand why you do this but we could put a rod in it to fuse it so obviously at 23 i think i was there 24 came out crying you know i've got a baby on the way you know, I want to be able to run, sports for my whole life. And I think that kind of mentality kind of pushed me on. And I thought, no, I'm not going, not going to accept this. So I spent, I was back in work within eight months with the police, only on my duties though. But um, I spent 16 months of rehabbing myself, hanging weights off my legs, over chairs, belts trapped into doors and pulling it, really put myself through brutal tears, pain. The upshot was, as you know, I can run, I can walk, I can play football. Um, the only time you notice if I sprint because I only have like 80 degree, uh, sorry, 95 degree movement, but I can ride a bike. I can do the stuff I love snowboarding. So to cut a very long story short, which I've already gone into, um, I started back, uh, I want to start playing rugby, football, but what I loved obviously is combat sports. So I went back to the gym just to train people. Uh, and what I found was that the change in the way I thought and the way I actually fought I was actually still really handy. So I won loads of local fights, uh, went on to win the Welsh Open Series title, kickboxing, uh, became British and English combined title, and then got asked, got the call to, uh, do I want to go to Great Britain for the trial? Sorry, do I want to go for trials to Great Britain? And before my accident, I've been selected to go for the team to go to Germany in the World Championships in, in 2004 at the end. So... For me, this was like me putting the world back to right. It's that final piece of the puzzle. So I spent six months of brutal training, back and forth to Nottingham, um, sacrificing a lot, family time, a body, social life. But that's what I needed to do because I wasn't going out there to make the numbers. Uh, upshot was I got selected uh, to join the team and I flew out in November. So I think it was November the 2nd, 2009 with the Great Britain squad. Uh, I had 10 fights in four days. And in the final, had, I fought the Italian with a fractured wrist and three broken toes and became world uh, light heavyweight kickboxing champion of the world. <laughs> so after being told I'd never walk again, I just, yeah. If I knew that doctor's contact details, he said, you, the only option you've got is to amputate your leg. I'd love to send him some of the stuff I've done since. <laughs> yeah, that is just phenomenal uh, yeah. to go. How much do you think you were potentially more motivated uh, after the injury uh, to do something like that than you would have been before an injury like that? Good question. Our question. I don't, I don't know. I seem to have always had this motivation. I've always had this never quit, never die attitude. I don't know if that was brought up from me from when I was a kid. Without going too deep into it, um, and it's not a bad thing because it's made me get through this, but when I was younger, I always felt like nothing was good enough. So I'd win, say I'd win a race um, at a top level. I'd always be criticised. Well, you look to the left-hand side, so you shaved, you know, I'd get a hat-trick and rugby, but you'd miss the tackle, you know, and 
you can look at that negatively, but I look at it positively because it spurred me on to be like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and I'm not going to quit until I stop. So I don't know whether that was it or not. I don't know. Um, but it's something I've always known since I was young. That if I'm doing it, I'm doing it properly and I'm going to win. Do your best. Yeah. Yeah. You play with me football on a, on a, on a football pitch. You don't lose it. <laughs> <laughs> You don't lose the desire to be your best, <laughs> even when you lose the ability to be. Yeah, yeah, that's, more, yeah that's more like it. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know, but yeah, I think maybe it's brought up in me. It's yeah. been ingrained in me. That's kind of the story of the the kickboxing and, and the resilience from that, uh, which requires incredible mental strength, incredible self-discipline, uh, yeah. and a desire to be better to be your best whatever that is to be your best so let's let's now go back to the cancer bit um because uh that was something that was even less in your control uh so so just talk us through a little bit you've mentioned it a little bit uh but but just go a bit more into the the cancer and, and the recovery it's May the 1st, uh, and as I said, I'm a DS in Liverpool in charge of uh, a covert unit, loving what I did. Uh, and it was May the 1st because my daughter's birthday is always May, is May the 2nd, so we never associate it. Uh, but I had a stressful day in work, which I always did, but I loved that. When everything was going off around me, that's when I was at my calmest. And shoes for form, um, there was a shooting in Manchester. So I was in charge as well as cross-border operations. And because they were our nominals, so our criminals in my area, we had to deal with it as well. One of my staff knew I wanted to get off on time because for my daughter's birthday tomorrow. Because I said, I want to get a good, decent night's kit. I'll be in early so I can get everything done. So she took over, went home and went to bed. I came round at quarter to midnight uh, with paramedics working me on me in my bed. Uh, I basically had a 15-minute nocturnal seizure and I'd stopped breathing. So, yeah, my first reaction was to try and kick the paramedics out of the bedroom. So I just thought I'd woke up groggy, didn't, you know. Yeah. What are you doing, get out. And my wife's obviously, as I said before, we started recording. Wife's in the NHS, she's a nurse, she's out there working today. Um, and I looked over and she wasn't by the side of the bed and she was at the side and she was in tears and she said, do you think I'd phone the ambulance? You know, you need to go with them. But I still refused. But one of the paramedics being brilliant as they are, said, oh, so what's your name? Dave, Where, what do you do for a living? I'm in the police, where do you work? Don't know. What's what's your surname? Don't know. What's the GP's address? Don't know. So suddenly I knew there was something wrong, but then I bit the back corner of my tongue off because there's blood all over the, the pillow. And I'd also realised the disc in my right shoulder as well. So I knew it was bad. So we went in. I was lettered in spots. They thought I had viral or bacterial meningitis, whichever one was. But it wasn't. It was the fact that my seizure had been that bad and that prolonged that all the uh, capillaries in my body had, uh, had burst. That's gives us... So it's May the 2nd, uh, was sat there, in a, uh, supposed to be in quarantine with all my family around me. <laughs> uh, and uh, the consultant came in and she basically just said, um, cleared the room, she just said, uh, unfortunately, you've got a large um, tumour in the front hemisphere of your brain. We're not a specialist hospital, but we've liaised with, um, with uh, Walton. Uh, you've got an appointment on Tuesday. It turned out that the, it was the size of a tennis ball in the front hemisphere of my brain. So I was scheduled for surgery, which was uh, six weeks uh, later, we're six weeks of my life. Uh, my bed was like a prison. Um, before I'd go to sleep, I'd, I wasn't even bothered about myself. It was, I'm not gonna see my daughter grow up, because I've got a daughter now, uh, who's, who's, who's 11 now. <clears throat> uh, I'm not gonna see her grow up, I'm not gonna see her get married, I'm not gonna see my lad grow up to be the person I know is. I'm gonna leave my wife with a load of debt, the house, it, this was just spiraling me. So instead of sitting there in my bed trying to sleep, I'd just get up and I'd go down and I'd do um, house, do DIY on the house and my missus would come down and I'd wallpapered the fireplace, I'd took doors off painted, but what I used to like to do was just to go run. Because stupidly, I'm a bloke, if you imagine me now, I'm not, I was a good bloke, don't get me wrong, but I was a bloke, I was kickboxing, rugby playing, uh, a lot bigger than what I was then because I was massively into training, so muscular size, I was a lot bigger. Um, I didn't want them to see me weak. I didn't want them to see me, their dad crying because he's got cancer. I wanted to be that figure for them and that pillar of strength. Didn't want them worrying and the same for my wife. So I'd go for a run, only about 5K, three miles. First mile, I'd just be crying, my eyes on, just crying, letting it all out. 
Um, and I'd often see dog walkers. I'm sure they were thinking, if you don't like r- running, well, why are you doing it? Because I'd be there crying, this bloke, <laughs> snot. And I'd get back in and, and I'd, feel, I'd feel a lot better. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I should have just communicated. And, and, but that, that's what it was back, back then. So six weeks later, uh, go down for surgery. Um, and I'm used to being put to sleep. And I quite like it. I know it's going to sound stupid, but I like quite like being put to sleep. I've had that many operations through kickboxing, through obviously the bike accident. I had about 14. Um, not this time. It was, it was terrifying. I was told the night before that there's a high chance that you may die. And if I don't die, I could get aneurysms, infections, a stroke. But also where my tumour was, was my higher level of thinking and where my personality was. So I may come back as someone completely different. So that was a worry. Um, surgery went really well. Um, I was up talking after major brain surgery after th- after three hours, and I was released home after three days. So uh, and then came back really quick. Thought you know, and and when I was I started back at back in the gym training with the uh, underground training station, um, got my diet on point. Um, went because I ate quite well before then anyway. But looking back, there was a few things that probably I shouldn't have been having. So I went um, kind of uh, vegan. Who eats eggs for a year? Had to have an MRI every four to six months just to keep an eye on it in the early days so I went in and my professor Elders was there now he's never there usually he, he's he was the top top brain surgeon in the country uh, he gave the guidelines for nice so anyone who gets stuck with neurosurgery went to him so I was very lucky so when I walked in and saw him I knew, I knew it wasn't good and they turned the screen around and there was just a small black mass in the in the center of my hemisphere of the brain so if it's black I know it's high grade if it's white like my big massive um mastocytoma it means that the cells are still healthy-ish and not mutating that quick so it holds a dye which is white black means it's they're not they're, they're mutating at a high high rate so it stays black so i was like that's a glioblastoma i'm not having radio i'm not having chemo i'm not putting that bit and he just went right let's just get through surgery i was in surgery that weekend surgery didn't didn't go to plan um the tumor had doubled in size from scan to surgery so it was a walnut size in the center so that had doubled in size um so surgery was a lot longer and a lot more complicated i spent two days in intensive care or high dependency unit and 14 days in hospital uh in total the pain was excruciating on this one and then i was i was in hospital and i came to see him and she's we've got your histology because with the astrocytoma i said well how do i die because i'd ask what my life prognosis and he said five years i said well how do i die and he said over the next five years, it will slowly mutate into um, the remnants because uh, they'd left 1% in because they couldn't get it because a tumour in the brain is not like a tumour anywhere else. You can't hack pieces of the brain away. So, a, um, so they'd left it like 98%, which is really good. Um, they said a piece of that may mutate. So I was like, okay, over the next five years and virtually within a year, that had already happened. Oh. Um, so she took me into the thing and she said, I've got the results. And she was like, you could see it was bad and a slight tear in her eye because we got to know each other really well. I said, listen, Anna, it's a glioblastoma. I've got 12 hours to live. Whatever you say is a bonus. So she said, yeah, you have got more than 12 hours to live. And she said, do you want to know what it is? And I said, is it the usual? So the usual would be three months without treatment, um, 12 to 18 with. And she was like, yeah, but with mine, because it was so aggressive, mine was six to eight months without treat- with, with, with treatment. So then I was like, sat there just thinking... Well, do I want to spend the next six to eight months in absolute going through hell through treatments just to die or, or do I just spend the next three months of my life living the best I can making the memory so went home and depression set, set in massively when I say oh, it's so dark I've, it's hard to get across how dark my world was at that time mm-hmm. I was literally sat on the couch waiting to die I faced death didn't bother me in the slightest wasn't scared and I'm just giving up on life um, I kind of say when I'm talking that maybe if you've seen those time-lapse films where there's one thing that's just stuck center and then everything else is whizzing around. That, that was my life. I was eating rubbish. I'd kind of given up on everything. Um, and what really kicked started me going was, was my wife. She said, come on, let's go for a run. I was like, I don't want to go for a run. She goes, you're going for a run. I said, I don't want to. I don't want to. And as you know, women always right. So I ended up going for a, for a run. And um, it was the hardest run I've ever done. I stopped, I was retching. I felt sick. I had a stitch. But that night, I felt uh, I felt just that little bit better, and I slept a little better. And that run kind of gave me the, the watershed moment that I had that saved my life. So at three o'clock in the morning, I was downstairs crying in the dark, 
and I just had this conversation. I said, right, listen, you've got two options. You said you were going to, I still didn't think I was going to uh, live at this point. You've got two options. You said you were going to come home, make this, make this decision, but spend the, first, the three months living the best you can. Well, you're not doing that. You've sat on here. You've wasted a week already. Um, or, now, as I said, I didn't think I was going to survive at this point. If the average is six to eight months, then I'm not going to be average. There must be people that go before, but there must be people that go all the way to 18 months. So I thought, I'm not going to be average, and I'm going to get to that 18 months. And that was kind of like the catalyst that started me. So I started eating better. I started training, and it kind of just went on from there. Every scan got better and better. Um, and I said, now I'm, I think I'm coming into my fourth year, fifth year now, past my... So I say my expiration date. <laughs> so, um, wow. and yeah, I just keep getting told to uh, keep doing what you're doing. Um, when I first got diagnosed, there was, there was no, no hope out there. We're told, don't Google it, don't, you know, and it was, it was all, especially the glyboson, it was all horror stories. And then I found this one woman in America uh, called Cheryl Proyles, and she'd had it for eight years. So I had that tiny little bit of hope. I think I've become that now for a lot of the people um, yeah, I, know Walt, I know Walton certainly if any young or people under the age of 40 get diagnosed they send them to my website they send them to get in contact with me I get messages three to four five messages a day in the morning asking for help or guidance and I think that's probably the most rewarding thing I can do with my positive situation well sorry with my situation is turn my negative horrific experiences into yeah. a positive to try and help inspire others to show them that there is another way not to give up you know, I'm life short. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is that what you would say is your kind of the biggest learning from all of this or? Oh, 100%. As, as I said, I used to work nonstop and now I cherish the smallest things and moments. I get to walk, certainly when my daughter was in, in primary school, I walked her to school. I'd go and watch a sport, um, Aladdin plays rugby games, uh, sports days, shows, I wouldn't have done that. I'd have been working. And at weekends, I played rugby and I coached rugby. That was my life. So it's the smaller things in life. I don't worry about trivial things anymore. Uh, life's short. There's no redos. There's no uh, mulligans. There's no respawns. You just get one shot on this crazy world that is uh, our life. Uh, and you've got to make the most of it. Yeah. And as you said before, it's about thriving. It's, it's not about existing. It's about living, living in the moment. Uh, too many people just exist. I think they're wasting this because this. I know there's a lot of negativity in the world, but I, I, it's just a beautiful place. It's a, positivity is basically what I've got out of this is I can take a positive out of any situation. I'm a very, very positive person. Yeah. Um, I, I try to share that as much as I can. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I, with what you've been through, you could take it either way, couldn't you? You could be the most negative person on the planet and people would say, yeah, fair enough. Um, of course, you'd probably be dead then. Um, or you can take the positives out of it. And yeah, no, a lot of people don't get it neither because also within the, that five years, I think last year was the first year that's been decent in six years. Um, quickly, my nine-year-old cousin Eve passed away from neuroblastoma. Um, I lost both my nans. I found out that on my, at my nan's funeral that my mum had uh, stage four ovarian cancer, uh, who sadly passed away in uh, 2018. Um, I've had a full psychotic breakdown. I've had three in uh, dual radiotherapy uh, and chemotherapy. Um, I always forget as well, I got skin cancer in 2018. I had to have a tumor cut out my chest. Lost a pregnancy as well. It's just been. Wow. Yeah. And then people say I don't, I might, it would reduce people to, to give up and quit. But as I said, I'm, I'm very positive. I believe that I've got an incredible amount of mental resilience. And people say to me, I bet you regret going out. And it kind of ties in with the question before, really. Um, bet you regret going out on your bike that day. Well, no. Who's to say I wouldn't have got killed uh, the week later? But who's to say that that wasn't building up that mental resilience, that fortitude, that moral strength to fight the ultimate fight? And that's not to come back and win a world kickbox fight. It's to overcome it and beat the statistics and become a new statistic of beating terminal cancer. Yeah. 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 I still live with, so... And, and just being the best version of you. And exactly. that's, that's just always your goal. Yeah. I think that's one of the big things that we can take from your story because that's something all of us can do. 
You know, yeah. we, don't, we don't have to have the major traumas in our lives uh, to, to want to be the best version of ourselves. But it does require a different mindset than most of us often have. I think that that positive mindset, but I think it's more than just a positive mindset. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a it's a true belief that things can be better, yeah. and that there is a reason, yeah, for them to be better. So, I guess the question for you: What is that reason? Why? Why fight through all of this stuff? Why, you know, through the pain, through the trauma? Why, why did you keep fighting? Why do you keep fighting? To be honest. Probably my family. I wasn't prepared to check out of this world. I still, I, I believe that I've, I've still got a lot more to give, and I still, I still do. You know, I remember in one of my dark days, just like praying for the universe, whatever, just saying, "Just give me five years, let me make a difference." And now I'm past that. I'm like, uh, "Give us another 10. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, it's 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 my family, and it, I don't, I didn't really appreciate that probably until that adversity kicked in, the bike accident, the can't, you know, and that's when you wake up and think, again, life's short and you, you start to value. Like I had, good, I had good relationships with my family anyway, but I could, having left home and, and been in the forces, I could go three, three, three months with the odd text to my sister. I find it weird now if I've not spoken to her in two days or seeing her within a week. So it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, obviously, exercise has always been really important to you. You've always been into your, yeah. your exercise. Uh, but nutrition is really important to you as well. Uh, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think kind of the cancer stuff really brought this home to you. What, what impact uh, do you think nutrition can have on us physically? Nutrition is massive. Um, I think... Medical world's only just kind of waking up to this now, yeah, and how important it is. So, I, my nutrition over the past five years has been all over the place. But for the as I said, I was a, I thought obviously because you got the, the argument with the meat is acidic, and uh, cancer doesn't can't survive well in an acidic environment. So, I went I went vegan, with with eggs because I just loved egg. But then it came back as the worst ever cancer you could get with the glioblastoma. So I thought, well, what I used to do is I used to go in and I was always very positive in my meetings. And I'd say, I've been researching this because I took a lot of supplements to boost my immune system because cancer is a disease and is the, is the immune system on the whole. Just like at the moment, coronavirus is a disease that targets the weak immune system. Um, and Anna was always like, yeah, you do realize food and nutrition has no part to play in it. But if it helps you feel as though you've got a grip on your cancer, you keep going. And then six months later down the line, she went, I've been listening to a lot you're saying. And I think there is a place. So they trialed the ketogenic diet out of um, Walton. But she said, you can't do it because you don't have a glioblastoma. And then I got one at my next meeting. So then I, I was placed on the ketogenic diet. I was only supposed to do it for, for three months, but I ended up staying on it for a year. So for those who don't know what the ketogenic diet is, mine was a modified one. So cancer thrives on glucose, sugar, or any carbohydrate that you take into the body turns into, to, into a glucose, which then feeds the, the cancer because the tumor has its own blood supply. The thing with the ketogenic diet is you only eat fat. Now, it's not like the Atkins where it was a, any fat. It's good, good sources of fat, avocados, your oily fish, um, coconut oil, all these sorts of stuff, nuts. And what had happened is I was on, two th to start with, 2,400 calories a day. Um, 120 grams of fat protein was free because i was fighting cancer and total carbs not even net carbs was 20 grams so the only carbs that got took up with was a couple of berries for like blueberries in the morning that was my daily allowance of carb so then there's no fruit a lot of veg was suddenly off the menu so it was a lot of just the green greens the only drinks i could could have would be water or green tea so with a ketogenic diet your body is fueled on those carbohydrates by depleting our body of this carbohydrate we're straight away tapping into the fat. So what happens is this fat is then turned into uh, ketones and ketones become the fuel. So you're fueled on ketones, hence why being on the ketogenic diet. Yeah. Uh, and the essence of that is that you just starve the cancer. It's got no fuel. So I was on that for a year. It was a big decision for me to come off it because I didn't know whether that was what was keeping the cancer away. Yeah. So um, 
I'd spent a week at my friends in Portugal, which is like a health, which is like a an off grid retreat on the side of a mountain, and it's vegetarian. And I ate vegetables and fruit, and just felt just felt a bit better, more like myself. Don't get me wrong, the ketogenic diet had loads of energy. Sometimes I felt a bit sluggish though, because the amount of meat I was consuming, and I'm not a big fan of cheese. Uh, but it was cheese, meats, it just constant. And I felt a little bit better, so I thought, do you know what, I'm going to come off it. So my first two scans, I was quite nervous, but obviously, you know, it wasn't the major impact. But I still eat well, don't get me wrong. Um, but you've got to live your life. Yeah. So I say 80-20, 80-20. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one bad day, say, say it, was a, uh, it was my birthday, not so long ago. I had, I had a couple to drink. I, I, was, I had a day where I just ate rubbish, you know. But if yeah. I was to do that constantly every single day, not only would I put on weight, which would be bad, bad for me anyway, but I then could be causing the cancer to kick back into place. No, you, you have to find the balance. You, you have to enjoy yeah. life, don't you? My saying is I have cancer, but cancer doesn't have to have me. Now, yeah. if I didn't do the stuff or eat the stuff I enjoyed, then cancer does have me. Yeah. My life's being governed by cancer, so I try not to. I don't want it to be. Yeah. And the, the other way around, if you only ever ate the rubbish, yeah. you'd, you'd feel awful then. Yeah, well, there's, a direct, <laughs> there's a direct link between our stomach and our brain. Yeah. So a brain barrier. I only learned this when I got properly, when I obviously I got diagnosed with um, brain tumor. So my chemo could only go in via my stomach because we have this protective layer around our brain. If we were to get cellulitis, yeah. um, if you were to get that, you'd die because you'd have no protective, it goes into your brain and that'd be it. So you have this protective barrier. So the only two ways to get into the, uh, to the brain is via the subwingal route, which is two glands under your tongue or via your stomach. So what you put into your stomach is going to have a direct impact on the mood that you have. Yeah. So it's weird. It's like I eat really well, really well and train well. If I'm injured, I'm not training. When I have a couple of days eating crap, my mood drops. Yeah. I, I, I get, I get down. Start to get a bit depressed. I get, I get a bit irritated. I'm angry. I, I'm not as happy and positive. So there is this direct correlation between your stomach and your brain. And so what you eat has a direct impact on your yeah. mood. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm American, so I just I have to have a McDonald's sometimes. I won't go there. <laughs> um, but I just anymore. I you know I eat one cheeseburger, and an hour later, I just feel awful like literally just feel awful for it so uh i uh, i do it a lot less than i used to i go to five guys now oh you should try that one people are obviously cooped up now you know we can't go very many places um yeah it, hopefully people are getting out for their bit of exercise every day uh, and uh, the sun is out, at least, you know, where we're living at the minute. So getting out for the vitamin D. Uh, but, you know, for a lot of us, we're probably, we're not moving around much. What little tips can you give people on the nutrition side of things? How can they, you know, because it's easy when you're sitting around the house just to snack and drink. And yeah, I had this conversation uh, the other day. There's going to be two, two, two types of people that come out of this, this lockdown. There's going to be ones who have invested in themselves and got fit and healthy. And there are going to be the others who have sat there, done nothing, eat, took this as an opportunity to eat and drink what they want and come out of it really badly. So there's a fine line. I don't think there's going to be too many in between either. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's, as you said, it's getting outside when you can. So at the moment, you know, the fact that the sun's out at the moment has just been a blessing, for the, certainly up where we are anyway. Um, so getting outside, getting that vitamin D, getting that fresh air, it's important to get fresh air. Um, for the nutrition side is, but it is about improving, improving your immune system. So it's lots of fruit and veg that are high in vitamin C, uh, your dark leafy greens. Um, yeah, invest, well, while we can't invest in wealth, invest in your health, hydration as well. It's important that we stay hydrated. Our body's made up mostly of water. So you should be looking uh, about two to three liters a day. It's getting good, healthy nuts in, avocados. It's eating right to boost your immune system. Yeah, yeah. this time the more water, water you drink the fuller you feel as well so so you, you you're exactly. not and also uh it also washes away fat fat toxins as well green teas are good for antioxidants um berries you, you know your, your blueberries anything that's packed full of antioxidants to keep yourself healthy 
yeah. yeah. I only started drinking coffee two years ago. <laughs> but there is, uh, there is a tendency now, because you're sat at home, just to keep hammering that caffeine. Yeah, yeah. So it's trying to replace that maybe with, like, you know, lemon, lemon water is amazing. So yeah. every morning I have by my bed ready as soon as I wake up a pint of water with fresh squeezed lemon in. What it does, that can, can cleans your digestive system out straight away. But it's also a perfect way to rehydrate yourself. Yeah. And you straight away I've got a pint of lemon water in me before I've eaten had breakfast. Yeah, so it's yeah. little, making little habits, I think. Yeah, I, I do this. I have a, a 500 mil cup of water first thing every morning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a habit I started a year or so ago. For that same reason, just to rehydrate. Uh, you feel, again, you feel less hungry. You don't necessarily need as much breakfast and you're cleansing your system. And uh, yeah, that's just one of those little habits that can actually make a pretty big difference, isn't it? Yeah, massive. Like I had me um, this morning, like a big bowl of porridge, bananas, throwing it in. And before I came on, this was like, oh, I'm hungry. I realized that I hadn't had much to drink. So I just next or drank, should we say, uh, two pints of water, and I'm fine. Yeah, so this is me third, so I'm smashing it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I brought my um, sparkling water with lime wedge. Got no poshness, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. If there was one last thing, bit of advice that you could give people. Uh, just for their general health and well-being at this difficult time, what would that one piece of advice be? Try to look for the positives. Also look to kind of enrich life. Don't just sit there watching TV. You know, this is a perfect time to self-develop. You know, yeah. if you've always wanted to learn a language, you've got time. Read more books. Um, for me, I, I, you know, I'm about 40, 50% fluent in Spanish. So I'm hammering the Spanish at the moment. I want to get my Spanish up. Um, yeah, just look for the positives uh, at the moment and not the negatives. Try and put a positive spin on everything. Don't believe everything that you read on social media. Um, um, you know, it, otherwise you can kind of get this anxiety, um, worrying about whether you're going to get it. Um, stay connected with people. It's good to talk. Uh, if you've got a problem, the world's a smaller place now. Uh, like me and you, we're just having a conversation as though we're in our, you're in my front room when we're, we're a couple of miles away. Uh, so stay connected with people um, exercise where you can at home because exercise has a massive impact on our mental health as well. Um, it improves uh, our sleep. It releases those feel good chemicals. So your oxytocins, your dopamine, which alleviate depression, uh, reduce anxiety, builds the immune system. So again, as we spoke about before, it's just, it's just a massive, massive tool is exercise and nutrition. Yeah. But yeah, just take the positives, um, live in the present, don't worry about what's going on in the future, uh, and make the most of what the time you've got now, uh, and, and improve yourself. Fantastic, absolutely. Focus on the positives is always good advice. <laughs> and I say you don't need, I, I'm very lucky, I've got rowers, I've got all sorts, you don't exercise, you can just walk up and down your stairs. Yeah. Like I've got, I've got a very close friend of mine at the moment, uh, I'm called Cliff. Uh, and he's battling cancer. It was quite, it's quite severe. And he's been quarantined. Uh, he's one of the ones who was told four months, you're not to leave the house. All his family have had to move out, bar his wife. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to come and go from the house. And, um, and I speak to him most days. And he, he's saying, he said to me, if I didn't, you know, it's not about me, I know. But he said, if I didn't have you to look up to, I wouldn't know what to do. But he does simple things. He gets out in the garden. He walks around the garden. He does the garden. He walks up and down his stairs uh, every so often just to get his joints moving. It's just simple little things like that. It doesn't have to be massive, brutal workouts, which I like to do. It can just be walking around your garden. Just be doing, if you've got a chair, just do some dips off a chair, some air squats or your body weight squats just going on. Just getting yourself moving and mobile, which is going to stimulate the oxygen into your, into your, your system. Yeah. yeah. Simple things. It doesn't have to be hard, strenuous work, but get outside get that fresh air in, get the vitamin D when we can. Use your one out, one out, one allotted exercise time to go for a walk. Yeah. 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 Very good. Now, uh, this isn't a fix everyone. I just want you to know that, uh, but I forgot to ask you earlier, uh, best football team in the world. 
Liverpool without a, without a shadow of a doubt. I, I promise <laughs> you, folks, I'm not just getting people on this show who are Liverpool fans. It's just that they do tend to be some of the best people on the planet. So yeah. it just it just keeps working like that. Do you have a book suggestion for everyone? Mine will be out at the end of the year, so that'll be a good one. But uh, that's the end of the year. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Unwinnable Feist in, in a bookshop near, near you soon when I, can, when I get around to finishing it. Um, but yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, if people want to find you, uh, whether that's to book you uh, to come and speak or uh, just general uh, motivation, et cetera, where can they find you? Uh, so my website, um, which has my full story because we've touched little bits at the moment. My full story is at Dave at DaveBolton.co.uk. Um, I've got a, a cancer side of things. I've got a page on Facebook called My Journey for Survival. I've got a website that I run specially for cancer, um, which is Journey for so the number four Survival.com. Instagram Dave Bolton Inspires. Twitter Dave Bolton I. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. Dave, it's been so good, uh, well, just catching up with you. Um, it's good to just, good to just chat again, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, to, to be able to get your story like this, and uh, as you said, we've only really uh, hit the highlights. Uh, there's so much more there. Uh, so, you know, if people want to find out more, they know, they know where to go look now. And as you say, your book later, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Got all this time and I'm, I procrastinate. <laughs> <laughs> you do the things you love doing, don't you? <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much. Uh, yeah, thanks, buddy. I appreciate you inviting me. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. been listening to the Sing When You're Losing podcast with Dave Bolton and me, your host, Buddy Owen. Please join us again next week as we speak to another inspirational guest whose story can help you learn to sing when you're losing. Have a great week, everyone.